Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James at Sweetroom. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond? I most certainly am, Rob. I had a break last week, but I'm back. The listeners have the joy of listening to my dulcet tones, and I can't wait for the show. Yeah, lots to go at on this week's show. We're going to start with the rugby, James. Yeah, we most certainly are, and unfortunately, Paul Whiteside not with us this week. We're sure he'll be back in abundance next week. But for now, you've got me to talk through the rugby with you. So Salford Red Devils have announced a supporter share scheme where you can own part of the club. That sounds incredibly interesting, Rob. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, fantastic opportunity for the people of Salford to back the local side. First, you know, professional rugby club to put this offer out to fans. Um, there's different options regarding the amount you can pay for shares. You can pay from £100 to £10,000, which is basically one vote, one share. It's an amazing opportunity. Obviously, Paul King, uh, the current chairman, does a fantastic job. But obviously, with Rugby League and how much it costs to run a club, it is you know, becoming a bit of a strain. So, opportunity for fans to get involved. We're all really excited about it, James. They've so far raised £90,000. They need to raise £250,000 in the first instant, basically, to get the club in an area where they're financially stable and able to keep the club together. And then, at that point, when they're at £250,000, James, they can, with this new IMG Rugby League um, thing coming in, where they've got to be graded, that will allow Salford to become a grade A club, which means we'll guarantee our Super League status for next season. So that's really exciting. Um, obviously, you know, fans are, are really behind it. And you're just kind of hoping that this momentum can continue in the months and, and you know months to come. You most certainly are, Rob. It sounds like an incredibly fantastic prospect for you, for Paul, for everybody who's a fan of the club. So I've got to imagine that you two will have your eyes set on potentially owning part of the club you've supported since you were children. Yeah, it's a dream. It's a dream, James, because obviously, you know, owning part of Sulphur Red Devils is is a brilliant thing, obviously. We talk about it being a community club and being an opportunity club. And, and this is a real opportunity for people like me who are soul fans and even our listeners out there want to be part of a success story. We, we've talked about the journey that Salford Devils have been on from the million pound miracle right up to modern day. We've gone through Challenge Cup finals, we've gone through grand finals and this club and this team is on the up. We just need to be able to finance it and be able to to continue the good work that the club have done not just on the field off the field as well going into the communities going into the schools growing the fan base you know we year in year out and that's the important thing but they need help and, and this is a scheme which allows fans to do that like i said you can go from 100 pounds 250 pounds a thousand pounds and then you can go up to ten thousand pounds if you're a, if you're a really wealthy fan or a business um you know we want to get involved in it and it's, it's an opportunity like i say james i can't say to everybody out there we know times are hard with a cost of living crisis and you know people don't have much money in the in the in the pockets but if you do have that opportunity and you do have the spare cash available i can't urge you enough to get involved in this because you know Salford Red Devils had a team on the up and I'm so excited about it I'm just hoping that people sort of realise what's going on and also jump on this opportunity so it turns out Rob 
We won't be introducing you and Paul to the show anymore as hosts of the Devil in the Detail podcast. We'll be introducing you as co-owners of Sulfur Dread Devils. Yeah, possibly, James. Me and three other people <laughs> so far. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it, it becomes a status thing, obviously. You know, if you run a business and you are a, a co-owner, um, you know, you could use that in your business circle. But also as a fan. If you are a owner of of the club, you know you can have access to what is going on behind the scenes. You can get you can get involved in you know the, the things that makes the club tick, like refreshments, how the car park works, you know shirts that for next season possibly. It's it's a very very you know responsible opportunity for people. It's not just fantasy rugby league where you're going to be able to go to Ian Blees or or Paul Rowley and say right go and sign me the test Australian um, second row because obviously we don't have the money for that. You'll have to make sure that everything tallies up. I'm sure that the club will make sure that the people who are involved in the club are in the right places and, and aren't able to be able to be swayed by average Joe who comes in like me and says, sign me this best player when we haven't got the money. So it's, it'd be a good blend of people in the know working well and fans having that passion and that money to keep the club going. I can imagine, Rob, but don't put yourself down because I think you should be at the forefront of making all <laughs> decisions at the club. But let's go away now to their actual performances on the pitch. And how do you feel they're doing this season so far? Yeah, James, I think we're doing quite, you know, very well. I think obviously being fifth place, you know, we've won sort of 10 12 game, 10 game, you know, games uh, in the season, five games in the season. And you're kind of excited about what's to come. You know, we've got some good players there who are hungry for success. Yeah, we've had some, you know, really good wins. You know, we beat Wakefield in the, in the Golden Point extra time. Uh, we've beat other teams that, you know, you look at the teams who, who have turned over, went to Hull away and won. And you're just kind of hoping that we can continue this momentum. In Rugby League, James, it's all about momentum. We've won three games on the spin in the last three uh, contests. So as long as we can continue that run and, and aim for a playoff spot, you know, the world's our oyster. Uh, but it will be difficult. Super League is really tough. We've only got a small squad. But we're on the right side of the, 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 the farm book at the moment. And you're kind of hoping that Paul Rowley's men can continue in that vein. You mentioned the playoffs there, Rob. Is that something you're expecting to make? I think, well, traditionally, Salford um, don't usually make the playoffs. I think we've made it three times in my whole Salford supporting life. But in the last couple of years, obviously, like you say, we got to a grand final, got to the semi-final last season. Paul Rowley with his uh, Rowley ball techniques is really putting the cat amongst the pigeons when it comes to uh, Salford and the Super League. So we're hoping we can continue this form continue to play well and if we do get in the playoffs with that recent year's experience not just on the terrace I mean obviously on the field as well you know we if we get used to being in playoffs we'll, we'll become a better team but yeah last season's success uh, we got beat against St Helens in the semi-final but we ran them very very close so I think if we do get into this into the playoffs the, the only sort of drawback will be the size of the squad as long as we can I would say remain injury free but at the moment we do have an injury uh, list but we're coping with it so as long as we can continue to cope with the injuries then I can see a playoff spot coming over the horizon Well that's what we hope for at the end of the season but looking now at the club in itself you've obviously got a plethora of great players but who to you has stood out the most so far? 
yeah, Tyler Dupree uh, has, has been an outstanding player for Salford uh, Red Devils this season. M- recently made his England debut against France. Uh, week in, week out, he performs at a high, high level. Shane Wright as well, he's been phenomenal. Mark Sneed, you know, keeping Salford moving around the field. Ryan Briley at fullback. We, we have got quality players glittered through this team, and that is why we are where we are. We don't, you don't start in fifth place in the playoffs midway through the season if you haven't got five or six, eight out of ten players, I call them, James. So uh, as long as we keep putting these performances and our top players keep producing the goods, we'll be in, we'll be in, hopefully in the playoffs come uh, June. Absolutely. Things haven't been 100% perfect, have they? I mean, of the improvements that you know we've discussed over the last few weeks, is there anything that you feel Southern really need to do? And what things can we make behind the scenes to make sure that those improvements are implemented? Yeah, I think on the field, James, because of the way... Paul Rallis sets his team up, teams up. We are very lightweight. We like to pass the ball about. Everybody interchanges with everyone else. So we, we lack um, forwards who are big forwards who can roll the ball forward. Easy metres down the middle. We aren't able to do that. So teams know that if Salford you know, can't get out of their sort of 20, 30 metres early in a tackle count, it becomes a problem. So we have to find... Uh, different ways how to get out of our 20 to put pressure on our opponents. Paul Rowley's men are working on that and we are fifth in the league, James. We can't really moan. We're winning games and when we do get into attacking positions, we score points. So, on the field, that is an issue but at the moment, we seem to be be, be finding the answers off the field. We, you know, we're, we're trying to support, trying to grow the support. Support the club have ideas. The club have produced, uh, you know, supporters' days and opportunities for laps fans who haven't been able to get down to the Salford City Stadium recently to come and watch Salford Red Devils play. You're hoping that the club continues to do that and continue to grow the fan base because that's the the one thing which really counts against Salford when it comes to the IMG uh, is the attendances. But we are growing the attendance and it will take time it doesn't happen overnight you just need to be successful continuously I say for the next three or five years people Salford will realise what a great team this is and come and follow them well it wouldn't be the sport zone if you weren't incredibly optimistic about Salford Rob and that's why we enjoy listening to the show on a week by week basis but moving away now from the Red Devils let's talk England both the men and the women played in France how did they get on this week? Yeah, England and um, men and women were both in action against the French. Uh, both won 64 nil, which is, you know, the odds on that is tremendous, James. Uh, the men, uh, Ash Hanley with a hat-trick uh, and George Williams with a hat-trick as well. You know, it wasn't the French and the most difficult of opponents, it has to be said, James. Uh, and... You know, it did seem a bit like a run-of-the-mill performance for for, for England. And you're just kind of hoping that the players who performed in that game got something out of it. With uh, obviously no World Cup this this year, um, it's it's a difficult situation where players do need to compete for a for a place. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. You know, 64 0 win is, is, is a great thing. Uh, the women also won at 64 0. Leah Dunn with four tries. The women's game in in England is, is, is 
on fire at the moment. You know, lots of people involved, lots of people watching. Uh, the French women are a bit of a better standard than the men. So, um, you know, it's a good performance for the ladies uh, with a good crowd as well of, of 8,000 people. So you're kind of hoping that they, they can grow uh, that uh, and people will be engaged, engaging and want to watch the ladies play. So, yeah, exciting times for the women and the men. International rugby is the way the sport grows uh, and you're hoping they continue to do that. Yeah, you most certainly are, Rob. And as much as you want to see the sport grow, I know that some fans aren't entirely happy with when it's played. So what do you make of mid-season tests? Are they good or a bad thing? Personally, James, I don't see the point of playing someone like France and winning 64-0. France don't get anything from it. Our players don't gain anything from it because we are a different level. And the people at home watching it as a, as a spectacle on the TV don't get any enjoyment from it because it's a blowout scoreline. The people who go to the game don't get anything out of it because it's another one-way traffic kind of game. But the difficulty we have is obviously the likes of Australia, who also play rugby league, who is very good at rugby league, the likes of Tonga, the likes of Samoa, most of their star players play on the other side of the world. So for us to go to uh, an Australian club and say, look, can you release five of your players to come over to Great Britain for two weeks and play a test match against us? Middle of their season is very you know, rare. I don't think they'll let this go because the Australian Rugby League is a massive thing. I They always prioritise their league over the international, which is I think is wrong. So it is unfortunate. But I think that's the only way England improved it. You have to play teams who are of a similar level. So you've got New Zealand, you've got Tonga, you've got Samoa. Teams like that will test England. Us beating France by 64 points doesn't help anybody. But it's an international game and the national uh, media recognise it and you get some, uh, you know, lots of inches of columns of newspapers. But for the, for the sport, a one-way traffic kind of game, it doesn't really do anything for us. No, I mean, it's interesting to get your thoughts there on Rob and it'll be interesting to see how things develop in the coming years. But moving away now to another of our local sides, Luke Waterworth has left since Swinton. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, obviously, we wish Luke all the best. Uh, he's been at Swinton since 2016. He's a hooker. He was part of the promotion team uh, last season. Uh, he played 133 games for Swinton uh, and scored 16 tries. So he really was a stalwart of that side. It will be sad that obviously he is departing, but times move on and he's obviously decided that it's time for him to, to seek other challenges. It's, it's a bit of a blow for Swinton, but Swinton Lions will need to go out and find somebody to replace him. I can't tell you who, James, because obviously Swinton are in uh, negotiations with a mysterious uh, player who might come in and fill his boots. So we'll have to wait and see in the next few weeks to see who comes in. But it is disappointing, but we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, we most certainly will, Rob. But... There's a big fixture coming up for them on Saturday. They are playing Toulouse. That's a pretty big game, isn't it? Yeah, Toulouse came from Super League, came down from Super League uh, last season. 
James. Um, you know, we want we talked about the French, you know, wanting to sort of develop the game, and and them and Catalan are the two French teams in the English rugby league uh, league structure. So it will be a challenge for Swint Lions, but Swint Lions have the heart. They've got the players there who will work hard. If Toulouse don't come to Haywood Road on Saturday, Saturday and start to fire opportunity for the Lions to take them on. Wish them all the, ble- all the best. We're just hoping that they can get a result and we can continue to, to go up that table. Most certainly. And now it's time to move on to the world of boxing. And I believe you've got some questions for me, haven't you, Rob? Yeah, James, let's start. This week's British fighter John Ryder takes an almighty challenge of fighting Canelo Alvarez in Mexico. How big of a task is this? It's a monumental task, Rob. Canelo Alvarez, probably not the fighter he used to be at the peak of his powers, but it's still an almighty challenge, especially with it being in Mexico. It's been so long since the great man has fought in his own country and he'll want to produce a big performance. And yes, that comes with nerves, but the man's seasoned. He's been at the highest level for a very long time, so I don't think that's going to be too big an issue for him. I'm expecting him to produce a big performance in front of his home people. He's going to have everything on the line. He's going to want to defend those belts, so it's going to be a tough, tough ask for John Ryder. But over the past few years, he's been getting better and better and better. He's picked up many, a big win. That Callum Smith one as well for the World Championships. Yes, he didn't get the decision on the night, but most people felt that that was unlucky, that he deserved to get his hand raised. He should have been a world champion already in the past. This is his time to cement his legacy. And yes, it's been a tough time for his gym recently with the likes of Conor Ben testing perform uh, testing for positive performance-enhancing drugs. Not ideal. However, himself, he's been doing well. He's picked up so many big wins recently. The likes of Zach Parker was a particularly big one recently. And Daniel Jacobs, before that, granted a close fight. But still, we're expecting John Ryder to do his very best. But will it be enough? You have to make Kellen the favourite. What areas has John Ryder improved in in recent years and will it be enough for him to get the win? I think the one area where John Ryder has improved more than anywhere else, Rob, is his mindset. He used to go into these bouts and he'd be almost okay with coming second best. He didn't push himself. He didn't really go for it. There were times against fighters who were nowhere near the level of the likes of Jacobs and Smith, the likes of Jack Arfield, who weren't as good, who were only ever British-level fighters, Nick Blackwell as well, with all due respect. And he fell short. He wasn't good enough. He suffered from nerves. He didn't believe in himself. Now, under this new coach, under Tony Sims, he's firing on all cylinders. Everything seems to be working smoothly. And that's what we like to see for somebody like John Ryder, a slick southpaw. The talent was always there, Rob. That was never in question. He just didn't believe it was there. Now he does. He's dangerous for every single fighter on the planet. And yes, he may not have one-punch power, but he won't stop trying. He'll keep grinding, and usually he finds a way to get the victory. How much has Cancelo gotten left in the tank, James? Because obviously, you know, he's an experienced fighter, but time waits for no man. It most certainly doesn't, Rob. I mean, Canelo Alvarez has been in war after war after war, and granted, he's not been a fighter. He's been knocked down on a load of different occasions. But he's taken some pretty hefty shots and it's only down to testament to his chin that he's managed to stay on his feet. I mean, those wars with Gennady Golovkin, great fights. I mean, personally, I didn't think he won either of them, the first two, that is. I mean, the third one, of course, he won that quite comfortably, but it was very much an over-the-hill Gennady Golovkin. And that was actually his comeback fight 
after losing a pretty one-sided decision to Dimitri Bivol, which you could say suggests that he's coming to the end. However, Bivol, a slick operator, a natural light heavyweight, and, you know, if you fight the best, eventually you've got to come unstuck. Previous to that, he still has big wins over the likes of Caleb Plant, the likes of Sergey Kovalev, Daniel Jacobs, etc. So, in all reality, it still looks like he's got a bit left. He's punching hard, he's moving well, He's managing the distance better than he used to because tiring used to be a major issue in his performances. We saw that against Floyd Mayweather, against Miguel Cotto towards the back end of the fight, against Erisan Lilala, who, again, arguably beat him on that time. Canelo, for me, still got a lot left in the tank. Do I think he's right at the top, right at his prime? Probably not, but he's not far down the mountain, Rob. He's only just started his descent. Okay, James, cards on the table. Who wins this? You know, as a Brit, you want to say John Ryder, don't you? You want to mm. say that this plucky underdog who's had such a great story from losing at British level to winning at world level, getting robbed blind against Callum Smith on a night where he should have become a unified champion. You want to say that he wins, but I think it's an almighty ass, Rob. I think going to fight Canelo anywhere in the world is tough. Doing it in Mexico is, is borderline impossible. John Ryder will give it his all. But without one-punch power, I don't know where he gets the job done, where he's better than Canelo. His work rate isn't quite as good. His his chin isn't quite as good. His experience isn't quite as good. His jab, his head movement, his power, all of these things, Canelo seems to have the edge in near enough every single category. So as much as I'd love John Ryder to go out to Mexico and pull off the victory, I think we've got to make Canelo a favourite in this one. It's going to be. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic fight, James. Obviously, you know the boxing republic will be wanted to to get involved and 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 watch these two slug it out. Yeah, they most certainly will, Rob. It's live on the zone, and I don't believe in the UK this is pay per view. So if you want to watch a Brit in a big fight. Uh, Baggy DAZN subscription, and this is one that you'll be able to watch. DAZN have obviously caught some flack in recent times, and quite rightly too, for for upping the price of their subscription for I think the third time now. But this is one that's free. So while you've got the time for just the price of your subscription, go cheer on John Ryder and let's hope he gets the job done. Talking about pay-per-view boxing fights, James, Ryan Garcia and Javonta Davis generated over a million pay-per-view buys for their fight. That's utterly fantastic, isn't it? It is, Rob. And I hope this is a statement to the boxing world. If you fight the best and give the fans the fights that they want to see, you will get results. Javonta Davis and Ryan Garcia were doing well in their careers. They're both two of the bigger names in the sport, but was the world watching at any point? Probably not. Put them together, everybody cares. Just look at those weigh-ins, the atmosphere, the amount of people who are out to watch, the amount of people who've now bought the pay-per-view, who spent $80 in America. Let's not forget that. I mean, we can do the mathematics right now, Rob. I mean, this is a bit of it a bit of a improvisational podcast hosting. Let's have a look, you know, the money they would have generated from that. If an 80 quid, an $80 pay-per-view times by what? 1.2 million. Mm. You're looking at 96 million pounds on the pay-per-view. That's the 96 million dollars. Sorry. On the pay-per-view. That's the amount of money these two men generated. And that's indicative of what we can do. If we do the right thing in this spot, nobody wants to see Ryan Garcia fight somebody in the top 20 and Javonta Davis KO somebody in in the top 15 of whatever sanctioning body he's holding a belt with at the time. They want to see the best fight the best. They fought each other. There's re- the rewards, and that does amazing things for not only Javonta Davis's legacy, but for his stock as well, because now he becomes the biggest star, ultimately, despite the fact that he'd probably done more in his career 
than Ryan Garcia. Due to the fact that he built up such a big profile on Instagram, it was actually the Mexican who probably had the bigger following. So, Javante Davis needed a test like this. Obi jumps right back in with the winner of Vasily Lomachenko and Devin Haney to fight for the undisputed titles. And granted, that's possibly unlikely because Lennon Ellaby, his promoter, has made it very tough for many fighters to, to, to fight him over the years. I mean, we've deemed this man a freeweight world champion, I believe, now, Javante Davis. He's not really. He's not been a world champion since 2018. WBA regular belts are not officially recognized world titles. So, Javante Davis, for me, needs a world title around his waist. I'd like to see him fight Javante, uh, Devin Haney or Vasily Lomachenko for that title. I think that's the fight to go. And as for Ryan Garcia, just because he lost, doesn't mean the fight's over. I want to see how he bounces back now. Let's see him in another big fight, whether it be Conor Ben or Tiafimo Lopez or Josh Taylor, whoever. I'd like to see him in with a big fight. Yeah, talking about these pay-per-view uh, money-spinning fights, James. I probably need my fingers and my toes to, to figure out how much we'd be uh, having to fork out to get uh, these fighters on. Uh, but it is amazing. Um, there's footage they've talked about Garcia's corner. Did, did he quit? I'm going to put it this way, Rob. You've got a fighter in Ryan Garcia who went above and beyond to make this. Because Javante Davis's team weren't calling for this fight. They never showed much of an interest. Lennon Ellaby certainly wasn't interested in this fight. Garcia went so far out of his way to push it. In Friday's career, he's overcome mental health issues. He proved he had heart when he got up off the floor against Campbell. He proved he had heart when he got up off the floor the first time Javante Davis put him down. All that is true. And he still ended up quitting. That doesn't mean that he's a coward. That doesn't mean that he's a horrendous fighter. That doesn't mean that he's not got heart. Because he has. Because he's proven it in the past. But on this occasion, let's just look at the facts. There was a 10 count. On the count of 10, he jumps up like a shot. So, <laughs> at nine seconds into that count, yes, he could have got up. So, by definition, he's made a conscious decision not to carry on. And you could argue for the longevity of his career, that may have made the most sense. Because for seven rounds, he wasn't landing a dent in Davis. It's, it's, it's a fact. He wasn't. He couldn't do it. So, perhaps deciding that he didn't want to carry on would be better for him. Because was he going to win the fight? No. Could he have got laid out very possibly? So, for Ryan Garcia, hopefully he can get back to the drawing board. We know he had a rib injury. He was complaining about that. He told his corner that that was the reason why he didn't carry on because he didn't want that rib to be hurt anymore. That's created a, a spiral of rumours from uh, from Garcia alleging that there was a mole in his camp who told Davis that information. That's not what you want to hear in the boxing world. We know it's seedy in some aspects, but we don't want it going on in the camps at all. So, yeah, for me, Rob, Ryan Garcia did quit, but that doesn't mean he's not a brave man. Other news, Alexander Ursic's next fight could take place in Poland. What do you make of that? Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, Rob? I mean, we were expecting Alexander Ursic to be fighting Tyson Fury at Wembley Stadium or Saudi Arabia or wherever it would have been for the undisputed titles. Unfortunately, that's not happening. I think me and Paul on this show came to the conclusion that, unfortunately, Tyson Fury seems to be the man you have to blame for that. So, you can't blame Usyk in the end for going in another direction. He was getting somewhat tired of the Fury antics because they were, were getting somewhat ridiculous. But now he's got a fight lined up against Daniel Dubois. That's when he'll be the favourite in. Dubois obviously losing to Joe Joyce not so long ago and getting dropped on three occasions by Kevin Lorena before ultimately getting up to win that fight. He's got the WBA regular world title. He won that against Trevor Bryan, a very bizarre show in America, in Miami, with about a couple of hundred people in the crowd, which is not what you expect of a fight of that magnitude. Regardless, Dubois, a good operator. 
It's very hard, very tall, good jab, technically skilled. Yes, he has a puncher's chance, but I don't think it'll be enough to beat Usyk. I think the Ukrainian wizard is just too clever. I think he'll pick the bar apart. I think it's a bridge too soon. I think he probably boxes his way towards a late stoppage. However, he's somebody throughout his career who has fought on the road. He's beaten Bellew, Chisora, Joshua in the UK. Joshua for a second time, obviously, in Saudi Arabia. He's fought the likes of Michael Hunter in the US, Klovaki in Poland, Bradis in Latvia, Gassiev in Russia. He was constantly on the road, always fighting away from home. Granted, Poland, it's not quite a homecoming, but with everything going on in Ukraine at the moment, it's unlikely that we're going to get to see him fight there anytime soon. So if this is the closest thing to, good luck to him because he deserves it. Yeah, Nate Diaz has been arrested, putting his fight with Jake Paul in jeopardy. That's uh, big news. Yeah, it is, Rob. Um, a very interesting one. He was at one of these boxing YouTuber cars uh, a week or so back, and um, things unraveled outside. Nate Diaz is somebody who's always been an on-site kind of guy. He's somebody who who doesn't keep his fists used purely for the cage. He will throw them if he deems necessary outside of the cage. On this occasion, it didn't seem like he needed to have a fight. What has happened here is a big brawl has gone off in Dallas and it's all kicked off and a member of the opposition has walked over to Nate Diaz with his hands down showing that he didn't want to fight. Nate has seemingly, according to the video, uh, assaulted him, placed his arms around the victim's neck, who actually works as a Logan Paul lookalike, believe it or not. But regardless, he's put his hands around the victim's neck. He has allegedly and seemingly, according to the video, strangled him unconscious and left him in the street. Of course, this is deemed a criminal offence, and he has been arrested for that. We're led to believe that it won't have a major impact on the Jake Paul fight. We don't know about that. I suppose it, you know it, it adds to this this bad blood and Nate's reputation within the, in the combat sports scene. But it's not ideal. But I suppose ultimately controversy sells, and it'll probably be good for the pay per view buys. But that's not necessarily the way we should be looking at it. It's not great for the sport, though, is it, James? Obviously, you know it's questions have to be asked. Any other sport that happens, surely the 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 person is suspended you know while investigations continue so obviously we won't know what what's going to happen with that i'm sure you know the, the law will get involved and and you know nate diaz will be sort of punished you know if he does is found guilty of what he did um but it isn't isn't a good look for boxing it's most certainly not rob i mean we've got to remember that nate diaz is a lifelong trained athlete when you've worked in a sport like brazilian jiu-jitsu for so long you develop a set of skills which should only really be applied in self-defence or competitive settings. It wasn't necessarily self-defence on this occasion. The guy seemingly had his hands up. He, he didn't. He didn't want to fight. He was indicating that he wasn't interested in a confrontation. Yet Nate Diaz has done what he's done. It, it, you're right. It's not an ideal look, and there possibly should be a suspension. The, the worrying thing is, yes, as we say that that Nate has a very particular set of skills. Not to quote Liam Neeson, that was very much unintentional. But he does have this set of skills, and he shouldn't be using them on these occasions because these locks, these submission holds, are incredibly dangerous. They are. They are. They are, James. And talking about dangerous men. Uh, Floyd Mayweather's another exhibition lined up against John Gotti the third. Um, did he take John Gotti one and two on and win? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I mean, Floyd Mayweather at this stage. I mean, I don't know what you think as a casual fan. It's probably good to get your perspective now. But uh, 
But Floyd Mayweather, for me, these exhibitions are getting a little bit tiresome. I yeah. mean, the first couple, brilliant, great. I mean, I know the Conor McGregor one was, you know, technically a professional fight, but it was borderline an exhibition. There's that. He comes back for this random one in Japan against the kickboxer. The Logan Paul one was a bit of a spectacle for me. He, he's beginning to degrade his legacy, Rob. What, what's your take on it? I think I've got to agree with you there, James. Obviously, Floyd Mayweather, you know, one of the, the biggest names in boxing. Uh, generates massive amount of, of money for the sport and him just you know going around the world playing these exhibition fights i mean it's boxing how can you have an exhibition fight it's either a fight or it's not um so i, I think obviously he's there just looking for one last payday really in it which is disappointing for the sport and disappointing for him uh, but until either he gets beat or he has you know attack of the conscience and decides enough's enough. I suppose this kind of thing continues, uh, James. Um, talking about other fighters, Josie Parker, he's fighting uh, for the Commonwealth title in Australia uh, this week. Uh, is this a step down for the New Zealander? Yeah, that was announced this week, Rob. It's, uh, it's a big fight for Australian and New Zealand fight fans, respectively. It's a bit of a derby matchup. Josie Parker is a fighter who has operated at the world level for a very long time now. I remember when he fought Carlos Takam all those years back, when he was 24, back in, I think, 2016. I remember Nick Hallin saying on the commentary, there's a lot to like about this young Kiwi, and there was. He had good footwork. He had rapid hands, and there was a real feeling that this man could be something a little bit special, and he just hasn't lived up to it, Rob. And mm. I know there's been these issues with him. I mean, maybe he stayed with Kevin Barry too long and got and got a little bit stale out there in New Zealand and, and Las Vegas where I think he was training. But he just hasn't looked right in recent times. He, he beats Andrew Ruiz for the title, which is great. He has a lot of luster, but a winning performance against Huey Fury to descend it. He fights AJ, and granted the ref didn't give him a fair shot, but then he backs it up against Dylan White and, and loses again after, you know... A headbutt, I think, in the third round, he doesn't put much effort in. He could have gone for it more. And then when he actually put his foot on the gas in the 12th round, he nearly had Dylan White out of there. And he's just not looked the same man. It's been lackluster performance after lackluster performance. Yes, he produces a great showing in the Derek Chisora rematch. However, in the first fight, he probably lost it. He was very, very, very lucky to get the decision that night. And for this man who he thought could be a legend of the sport, he could be someone who'd go on to do so much. He, he then loses to Joe Joyce and granted... You know, Jojo showed an incredible chin that night, and up until the recent fight against Zili Zhang, we thought he may well be indestructible. But he still loses. He then fights Jack Massey again, another lackluster performance, something we're going to be accustomed to seeing at the moment from Joseph Parker. And now he's fighting for the Commonwealth belt. I'm not that massively against it. I mean, if he's not won it, it's a good it's a good title to win. It's a good one to have in your resume. I'm sure I'll be happy to take the belt home. He's taken on Fager Upload to Django. He's just come off a big win against Hemi Ohio, an upset win there. He previously fought Lucas Brown, and after a couple of rounds, he ended up gassing, and the Aussie chinned him. Brown, a fighter who's been, you know, in recent years, he, he's been well-known within the trade that he's somewhat past his best, and I know he came up Trump's recently with a big performance against Junior Farr before losing to Jerome Miller, so he showed that he has somewhat left in the tank he's still clearly carrying power but if Lucas Brown at this stage is beating you you'd assume that Joseph Parker would do the same thing is it the best fight in the world for Parker probably not but if he gets a big win here he wins the Commonwealth title who knows maybe that'll open some doors for him yeah final boxing question the Smith versus Eubank rematch is confirmed will the second fight go any differently 
Before the first fight, Rob, me and Paul had completely opposing views to this. I was almost convinced that Eubank was going to beat Smith with relative ease. And Paul kept telling me that there was a difference between the two. He kept saying that Eubank's not the real fighter, that Smith is the technically better operator in there, that Smith will win. And I told Paul that he was a madman. I told Paul that he was crazy. And Paul was absolutely right, Rob. So, I mean, if you're doing questions on the boxing show, you're probably going to get more of a better answer from Paul than you are from me. <laughs> but, but regardless, you've got to think in the rematch that Paul's going to be right again. You've got to think that Smith goes into this one the favourite. I mean, he won in the fourth round. However, up until that lottery punch, Eubank was winning the fight. Now, that punch could have come at any point. Smith may have gone on to beat Eubank anyway. It may have just been a matter of time. However, Eubank knows it's coming this time. He can adapt to it. It may have been a lottery punch. It may have been, I don't say a lucky punch, because Smith threw that and he threw it with bad intentions. But maybe Eubank underestimated his opponent. Maybe Eubank was so confident he was going to win that he didn't take Liam Smith seriously. He said Fred he'd only need 60% to beat Smith. It looks like he probably needs that full 100%. He needs a full KFC meal, not just the sides. <laughs> so Chris Eubank Jr., he needs to be focused. He needs to be his very best, and he knows that this time. That's what we've established. Under Roy Jones Jr., he sort of found himself caught in between styles. I thought his first few fights with him, he wasn't particularly good. But against Liam Williams, I thought, okay, this is all clicking into face because he produced a pretty big performance that night. He needs something similar against Liam Smith who's going to win this one. He needs to box, and he needs to go back to his basics at points, the stuff that got him to the dance. He needs to remember that, yes, he was a work-rate fighter, that he was brilliant on the insides, and he needs to let those hands fly because I don't think exclusively boxing Liam Smith on the back foot is going to work out for him. And he knows that, so he has to adapt. It's going to be interesting to see what game plan he comes in with and whether Liam Smith this time will overlook his opponent because it was you know, fairly easy for him. He didn't take too many shots and he wins in the fourth round other than a couple of uppercuts in that first. So Liam Smith will be confident. It'll be interesting to see what Eubank's mindset is going into this one because he was a fighter who claims he couldn't be hurt. I mean, as Rory Jones said, can't be dropped, can't be moved, can't be stopped. It is that sort of thing. Nobody had hurt Eubank and he was hit with punches from George Groves that he could knock out a small horse and he kept walking forward and there's no issues there. Now that that chin has been tainted, it could be just a brilliant shot or it could be that Eubank Jr. is beginning to slide. And for somebody who has been such a big character in boxing, for him to go would be detrimental to the sport from our country, but it would also allow Liam Smith to, to rise like a phoenix and hopefully win another world title because he's somebody throughout his career that has been vastly overlooked. We've got to remember, granted, it only came against John Thompson, but this is a former world champion we're talking about. This is somebody who, over seven rounds with Canelo, was fairly competitive. Okay, granted, he never looked like he was going to win the fight, but Smith's been a good operator throughout the years, so this is a good fight. I'm looking forward to the rematch, and... You know, I've got to listen to Paul. I've got to listen to the man who got it right the last time. We've got to assume right now that Liam Smith goes in the favourite. But Eubank could come in different this time. We've got to work. Uh, we've got to wait out for that. Talking about very own Paul Whiteside. He's in a fight, fight for his life with uh, his Wi-Fi at the moment. It looks like his Wi-Fi is uh, going to win that contest by the look of it. But let's move on to the UFC. It's been a while since we've discussed MMA on the show. There's a big card this week, so we've got to discuss it. UFC 288 goes down and we can't wait for the main event. We most certainly can't. Just to touch on what you said there about Paul Rob, I mean, we always say on the show that he's got the best jab in Salford. Unfortunately, his wife has the best right hook, <laughs> and he's been a he's been KO'd tonight by the Wi-Fi. Mm. But we're sure he'll be back better for next week. Overcoming adversity is something Paul does brilliantly, so we can't wait to see Mister Whiteside back on the show. 
on the next episode. But now looking ahead to the fight this weekend, we have Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. This is an interesting one because Triple C, Henry Cejudo, before his retirement was deemed one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time. This was a two-time UFC two-weight champion and an Olympic gold wrestling, gold, gold medalist, should I say, in wrestling. A great fighter. One of the best we have ever had. That's undeniable. After a first loss to Demetrius Johnson, he rebounded, he rebuilt, and he's put on some incredible performances, beating the likes of Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw, etc. Marlon Moraes as well. He's truly one of the greats. We'll get on to whether he should be coming back in a minute, but on paper, this is a good fight. He's undeniably got the better wrestling. He probably has the better striking. Aljamain Sterling has got the jiu-jitsu, and if Henry Cejudo opts for his Olympic background and he tries to take Aljo down, it could play into the new champion's hands. He could get submitted. Funnily enough, I was at a wrestling convention, I told you, a wrestling and MMA convention uh, earlier today, this being Sunday when we're recording the show, and I was telling you before we started, Rob, that we were hearing from all the greats from the worlds of wrestling and MMA, and one of the ex-fighters we heard from was uh, Matt Serra, somebody who was most famous for beating Judge St. Pierre in one of the biggest upsets in UFC history. He changed Aljamain Sterling now, and he's confident that his man, is going to ragdoll, maul, and finish Henry Cejudo. So that was pretty interesting. He's very confident in his man, so it should be a good fight. Is the idea of a former champion coming back out of retirement a good idea, James? <sighs> You've got to know when to call it a day, haven't you, mm. Rob? It's, it's a difficult time, isn't it? And I think we might discuss that a little bit later, but my instant opinion is no. Henry Cejudo has won two world titles. He's not coming back for, you know, a new weight class or anything like that. He's coming back effectively to win his old belt. Something he's already done. I'm not a massive fan of this, if I've got to be honest, Rob. I would rather Henry Cejudo have sailed off like he initially promised to, sailed off into the sunset, enjoyed his life. Right now, he's in a position where he could undeniably walk off is one of the greatest of all time. And granted, you know, a loss isn't going to completely ruin everything, but it will add a little bit of a dampener. Because when you've run off into the sunset as the best ever, and you've run off with two belts, and you've run off, you know, having not lost in several years, you're on a real high. He's risking that to go out on a potential low. I'm sure the money's great. I'm sure the money the UFC's paying him is excellent, but how much money pays for legacy? It's difficult, isn't it? For me, Henry Cejudo is making the wrong decision. And yes, he might win, against Aljamain Sterling and he might reclaim his bantamweight title and that'd be great and it will add to his legacy but it's a risk that I don't think is worth taking it makes you wonder why they do it I mean is there not enough people around him to say look we want the, do you really really want this fight look at what you've achieved and you doing this does it tarnish what people you know memories have you is, is, do you think there's not enough people around him saying that or is it just purely down to business and we need this money for this fight to, to, to continue the lifestyle you've got. Well, you're completely right from the business perspective, Rob, but this will pay him a lot of money. Henry Cejudo is a big name. He's headlining a pay-per-view this weekend, and he's unlikely he's, he's likely going to generate quite a few buys, so he is going to get a big chunk of change for this one. Don't make any mistake about it, but you're absolutely right. People should tell him not to take this for me because he simply doesn't need to. This achievement, however good it is this weekend, is, is a mile he's already hit. It's a second marathon after running the first. He shouldn't be doing it again. He's done it. And I like to see fighters walk away at the pinnacle, at the top of the powers, at the very best. 
when they come back out of retirement, Rob, more often than not, it doesn't work out. It doesn't go well for them. We've seen this, you know, so many times where, for example, David Hay, great fighter, finishes after beating Derek Chisora in front of a packed Upton Park. What a time to go out. Comes back three years and loses to Tony Bellew, somebody who he probably wouldn't have lost to in his prime. So these are examples. I mean, another fighter who who carried on for me too long, Kamara Usman, right now, has just lost back-to-back fights to Leon Edwards. But why fight him? He was in a position where he was effectively lapping people. I mean, he'd fought Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal both twice. So he had a chance to call a day after that. He didn't. He carried on. He got beat. Stipe Miocic, after the trilogy against Daniel Cormier, for me, he should have called it a day. He then fights Francis Ngannou, gets knocked out. Right now, Henry Cejudo rightfully called it a day, and now he's back. I hope for the sake of his legacy, he doesn't regret it. Yeah, it just seems boxers are any professional sportsmen that reach a level sometimes just don't aren't able to to listen to their own bodies and say you know enough's enough there's always something that makes them want to go that one extra time but that little something that makes them want to go that extra time makes them that champion that they are yeah you're 100% right Rob I mean they're pretty special human beings aren't the fighters I mean you've got to have something a little bit wrong with you to willingly <laughs> get in a cage and get punched in the face or potentially submitted or knocked out in front of your family on Sky Sports or BT Sports. It's a pretty mental thing when you think about it. I mean, these people are truly mentally gifted. However, the man he's getting in the cage with is equally as mentally gifted and is equally as talented and is equally athletic. So you really are risking it. Again, I mean, for me, it's a risk not worth taking. But who knows? I mean, Henry might come out of this win and then get another bumper fight. I mean, I know he's been wanting to go up to the featherweight division to become the first free weight UFC champion. And that I would have understood more. If he'd have got that straight off the bat to fight for that third world title, that would have been history-making. I would have got it a little bit. My main issue, I mean, is the fact that he's coming back for something he's already done. But you never know. Maybe the deal's in place for him to then win this one and then go up again. We don't know, do we? But... From my perspective, Father Time waits for no man, and we do, we hope it doesn't catch up with him this weekend. Who wins the fight, James? I think, despite the fact of what I've just said, Henry Cejudo is a better fighter than Aljamain Sterling. He won those two world titles for a reason. He won Olympic gold for a reason. If somebody's got the mindset to come in, despite him probably not having the athleticism, that Aljamain Sterling has. He has something in his veins, in his mentality, in his blood that allows him to keep winning when the odds say he shouldn't. So from that perspective, you've, you've got to give him a real, real good shot in this one. But, you know, from listening to Matt Serra earlier today, he's so confident that it's, go the, it's going to go the other way. It's a tough one to call. I'll go Cejudo based off the fact that he looks like what he used to look like before he retired. If he's anything less than that, Sterling will win. Yeah, and finally, there's a cracking main event as well. Yeah, co-main event this weekend is Gilbert Burns versus Malal Muhammad. Since losing to Leon Edwards, well, it was a a no contest, really, because of the eye poke. Muhammad has looked as good as ever. He's been beating the likes of Wonderboy Chompson. He's on a fantastic run, and he's eagerly in pursuit of a world title shot. But this is his hardest fight to date for me. Gilbert Burns, a great fighter. Somebody who's beat Jorge Masvidal in his last outing, which was a big, big win for him. He's a fighter's fighter. He's always willing to get in with the best. I think he deserves another title shot. If he gets through Bilal Mohamed this weekend, that's what he'll get. However, there's a narrative there with Leon Edwards for, for Mohamed as well. 
I mean, their fight obviously being stopped, despite the fact Leon Edwards was pretty much cruising towards the back end of it before the stoppage. There's still that controversy due to the eye poke. So maybe that's when you run back as well. So for me, Rob, there is a very decent chance that the winner of this gets a title shot. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens at weekend, James. It's going to be fascinating. Let's move on to the football now and we'll talk Manchester City. They're in cruise control at the moment, beating Arsenal last week at the Etihad Stadium, beating Fulham this weekend. This Man City juggernaut just keeps rolling. It does. They're pretty amazing, that line led by Erling Haaland, who is still pretty unstoppable, isn't he? I mean, Manchester City have been utterly fantastic this season and they've just got better and better and better throughout. Arsenal, of course, it's looking like their Premier League dreams have been dashed in a moment. That game, let's look how integral it is there, Rob. You've got two managers, Pep Guardiola, somebody who, at least domestically in Manchester City, knows how to get the job done. And it was telling with Miguel Arteta, somebody, Mikel Arteta, sorry, somebody who couldn't quite get the job done on this occasion. What did you make of the game? What did you make of the two managers? And what does it say about Arteta and the players that they weren't able to get the winner here? And not only that, they were beaten so badly. Yeah, pressure's building and on Arsenal. It gets the teams when the title race becomes into the last stages, the April, May time, you really see what players are made of. And and for me, the last couple of weeks and you know, Arsenal managed by Arteta haven't been involved in this, which is what the big difference is Manchester City have had a few years of title races which they've both won and lost. So they know what needs to happen to get a result. Arsenal are still living in a new world, aren't they? And I suppose they'll learn from it, James, going on to the next season. But it is a bit of blow if you are an Arsenal fan. But if you'd have said to an Arsenal fan at the beginning of the season before they went on this outrageous run, look, you're probably going to finish second to Man City. Um, they'll go took it all day. So it's going to hurt. But, you know, we still got to accept where you are. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that same comment, Rob, that, you know, when you look at the start of the season, you know, you'd have been absolutely thrilled to come second. And ultimately, Manchester City are, at this stage, a better football club than Arsenal. However, they've been teased, haven't they? Mm. The carrot has been dangled. And, you know, the last time Arsenal won the league all those years ago, it's now 20 years since then. If you told that winning team that it would be this long, how do you think they'd have felt? Disappointing. Disappointing, James, because I've said, you know, you get the taste, don't you? Think this is going to be your, your your moment, and then for it to be taken away by this Manchester City team. Um, we, we've still got games to play, haven't we? There's a couple of games. You know, you're looking down that fixture list where City might you might be tested, but they've got a couple of games this week. Uh, they play West Ham at home, and they play Leeds at home. Two potential banana skin games because West Ham and Leeds are both fighting in for you know for Premier League survival. So Arsenal will be looking at that, thinking if any of them get a result, we can find a bit of form. We might be able to switch it, but it's going to be difficult. Yeah, most certainly is. I mean, at this stage with Manchester City, you know, clear of Arsenal with a game in hand, it's very unlikely that they're going to mess up. I mean, they're playing West Ham, they're playing Leeds, both very winnable games to Manchester City. I don't see them see them falling short here. I really don't. I think this is it now. I think Manchester City are going to be untouchable till the end of the season and I don't know what Arsenal can do to catch them up. And do you think Mikel Arteta will be able to inspire his men to play well until the end of the season or do you think they're going to go in a downward spiral now? It's, it's, it's a problem. Obviously, you know, when you've 
played at such a level and you start dropping points, your heads might start to spin and, and then you start dropping more points. It's a matter of, hopefully, for Arsenal to be able to stay in that top four. A bit like Man United, they've had a mixed week. They drew 2-2 away at Tottenham after being 2-0 up. They managed to get a result against Villa, who, who have been you know really good performers this year uh, so far, James. So, two win, well, one win, one draw for last, last week, but still lots to do. Yeah, the most certainly is. I mean, it's not quite over yet for Manchester City. Granted, they're the favourites, especially after that crushing 4-1 win against Arsenal. But it's going to be interesting to see how they get on throughout the rest of the season. And another team that have crumbled now, Manchester United. Granted, big win today against Aston Villa, a 1-0 win. And we'll talk about their games upcoming against Brighton and West Ham. But against Tottenham, Rob, I mean, 2-0 up. And with the ta- uh, the race for the top four tight, I mean, you don't want to be losing. You don't want to be dropping points, rather, to, to a team like Tottenham who scored two goals and equalised the match. Yeah, and, that, and that's, the, that's the reason why Manchester United won't compete with the likes of Man City when it comes to Premier League titles at the moment because you don't go away to teams 2-0 up and then end up drawing and dropping points but if you want to be a title winning team you see that you see that game out and that is where Ten Hag is at the moment and his players are they need to realize that it's a process but they need to start learning from these experiences and and growing as a team and then in a couple of years with a bit more investment we hopefully we'll see it all flourish and they'll become a title contender but yeah Moments like that will really hurt Hentag, uh, but I'm sure he's got ideas how he can build this team to become better. Yeah, he most certainly will. I mean, the season that he's had, I mean, again, we were talking about Arsenal, weren't we? I mean, if Manchester United were offered this at the start of the season, I'm sure we'd take it. I really am. I mean, we've got these games coming up against Brighton and West Ham. I'm expecting us to win these despite the mess up against Tottenham. And, and overall, Eric Ten Hag for me, he's had a pretty good season. And I'm sure when it does end, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be able to look back on this and we'll we'll talk about how well he's done throughout the season. But a team that haven't done so well are Everton. They've got absolutely battered this week by Newcastle on Thursday evening. 4-1 in the end. Pretty appalling stuff for the Toffees, who now look pretty much definite to go down. Yeah, a proud club. Never been relegated. Um, you know, you see where they are and what they've had to, uh, you know, happen the last couple of years and, and struggling towards the bottom. The mismanagement, the amount of money that has been thrown at that squad and, you know, the players they brought in isn't aren't up to the calibre of Premier League. You do feel sorry for them, but that's modern football. And if they do manage, if they do avoid relegation, you know, Sean Dyche will really need to, to uh, you know, complete rebuild of that Everton uh, squad. But if they do go down, it's going to be difficult to get out of the championship because a lot of players in that in that squad, uh, James, um, aren't on are on Premier League wages. So to to ship them out, it will be difficult. But we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be it's going to be hard being Evertonian to watch uh, that week in week out. Yeah, it's going to be pretty brutal. And who knows if they'll bounce back up? I mean, as you just said, it's going to be pretty financially destructive for the Scouse side to go down. So not ideal at all. With so many players inevitably having to leave the side in the summer. Should they get relegated to the championship, they'll have a substantially weakened side. And as a lot of teams do, they go down to the championship. Some, granted, bounce straight back up. Others go straight back down again. Mm. Could you see that in Everton's future? It's a difficult situation, isn't it, really, James? Because, you know, 
Everton, like Manchester City, when when they went down to the second division, as a club, people see them as this seventh, eighth biggest club in in England, and they will raise their game. And if there isn't a proper culture behind, you know what is going on at Goodison Park, they will find it difficult to turn that round. And obviously with a minute and a half to go, James, the relegation battle, there's some big teams like Everton, Leeds, Nottingham Forest. Um, you know, these big teams should be where they are, really. No, they shouldn't. I mean, it's obviously pretty devastating for all those teams and the fight for survival is getting more and more intense. But now quickly, looking at our other side, Salford, a big win over Carlisle. That was vital in the playoff race with Carla being so far up the table. A 3-2 win there. Taking on Gillingham this weekend. A win will guarantee Salford a place in the playoffs, but Bradford are biting on their heels on even points. They're taking on Leighton Orient. A tougher game, but Salford, it's in their hands now. It is, James. It is, and and that's all you can ask for, uh, being a, a Salford fan. That When it comes to playoff football, you're in the mix. Obviously, a lot of... You know, players, a lot of people behind the scenes working hard. Uh, with, with 30 seconds to go, James, we're just kind of hoping uh, that they can find the ways in the playoffs and, and see what happens then. Yeah, we most certainly are. Salford, a team that have threatened all season long. They've been just outside. Now they're in. It looks almost guaranteed that they've got that playoff place. I mean, the manager's got to just do his best to see this out. Granted, not the most experienced side, but I still believe that they've showed the minerals throughout the season to get the job done. And I think for this week, that's all we've got time for. Me, Rob, and the great Paul White. So, I'll be back on the Sports Zone this time next week. Yeah, so big thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat.